This episode is brought to you by AI Impact. AI Impact is a new virtual event that will separate hype from reality and deliver insights into how industries and business functions will be enhanced and tested in the age of AI. Featuring thought-provoking keynote speeches and exclusive discussions with world-renowned AI experts, this event will provide the knowledge, context, and inspiration you need to navigate the complexities of AI. Participants will learn how to identify opportunities, address issues, and make informed decisions that will leverage AI to its fullest potential. AI Impact, which is brought to you by SmartBrief, is taking place September 27th and 28th. To learn more about AI Impact or to register to attend the event, go to impactaisummit.com. That's impactaisummit.com. Or click on the link in the show notes. What's up, everyone? And welcome to the Renewable Energy Smart Pod. I'm Sean McMahon, And today's episode is part two of our back-to-back look at the solar sector. On our last episode, Daniel Cruz from Liam Research shined a spotlight on trends in the solar market here in the United States. Today, we're going to hear from Harold Overholm, the co-founder and CEO of Alight Energy. Alight is a solar energy development and consulting company based in Stockholm, Sweden. So Harold is going to walk us through current solar trends in the Nordics and the rest of Europe. During our conversation, Harold and I will touch on the rise of solar as a service, the role power purchase agreements are playing in Europe, and how Alight is working with companies like Toyota and Swedbank to help organizations optimize the potential of both on-site and off-site solar. Looking ahead on the calendar, Climate Week is right around the corner. So Lauren Collins from Vincent & Elkins will return to the show to discuss what's gone on in the renewable sector in the last year, with a specific focus on the first anniversary of the Inflation Reduction Act. Lauren first appeared on this podcast just as the IRA was being passed, so it's going to be great to hear from her on how that key piece of legislation has changed the landscape for renewables. We've also got a few shows cooking for COP28 coming up in the United Arab Emirates, but I'll share more details about those as the event draws closer. Before we get things started with Harold Overholm from Alight Energy, I want to take a minute to mark the sad passing of one of the most energetic people I've ever met in the renewable energy industry. Casey Peters from Pivot Energy recently succumbed to cancer. We had Casey on this show back in April, and she was a dynamo. Her passion for all things renewables came through in her voice. So much so that that was one of those episodes where I wish this podcast had a video element, just so you all could see what I saw, which was the way Casey's face lit up when she talked about her work. Casey Peters was a bright light, and my heart goes out to her family and her friends. She will be missed. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me today. My guest is Harold Overholm from Alight. Harold, how are you doing today? Pretty good. Thanks, Sean. Hi. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. I'm very familiar with Alight and all the work you do, but... Let's take a minute or two to let you kind of explain what your firm does, kind of how you got started and, and where things stand right now. Yeah, thank you. So we're, we're Alight. We do solar as a service for big commercial power users. And that just means that we build and own and operate solar, selling the power to those users, typically through something called a PPA. That's a power purchase agreement. 
maybe familiar, maybe not, but it's it's the big contractual way of making sure that you can you can buy uh, power from a new solar plant without having to own the plant or having to maintain it or or even think about it. Yeah, you can just get the benefits of that power. That's what we do, and we built the market in the Nordics. It was it was really new when we got going ten years ago. Uh, and obviously now, just like many places in the world, solar is, is booming and we're just uh, struggling to keep up with, with the pace of the market. Yeah, speaking of the market, what are some of the overall trends you're seeing? You know, let, Let's start big picture when it comes to the solar industry, maybe within the Nordics or even kind of beyond that. What are you seeing out there? Yeah, I mean, look, I think solar is in a big trend. Solar is in a positive place. Someone uh, I talked to recently used the word euphoria for <laughs> the global solar industry, and it's not not wrong i mean in the us the ira i don't need to tell you about that but it's the same thing everywhere solar has never been as big as it is now or grown as fast in terms of megawatts installed so that's fantastic and i think that gives uh, rise to a lot of other trends within the industry which is all about maturing so just to give a few examples i think like battery storage in, in europe as something being coupled with solar is maturing really rapidly it's just being done in a way that's never been done before people putting battery storage on the ground with good commercial contracts on it. Something we did, we put our first coupled solar coupled battery storage on an asset one year ago, and since then just seeing the pathway to roll out much more of it. I would mention capital as a strong trend, like the maturing capital interest in solar. As you know, we, we did a capital raise a year ago, and in the uh, running app to that, ultimately we did it with, a, with an infra fund called DIFF, but it was a long process, about a year we met a lot of international uh, investors, but it's just striking how mature the interest in investing in the solar industry has been. Never seen that before. And I mean, I've been in the industry for 20 years, basically. It's very new. So yeah, very strong overall trend, I think, for solar in Europe as in, in the US. And that's helpful to every bit of the of the value chain. Okay. You mentioned how you know things have definitely matured in the last decade even the concept of solar as a service being better understood. So what were those conversations like in the early days and how have they changed now? I mean, are most of the people you talk to know exactly what you're talking about when you come in talking about PPAs and solar as a service, or is it there's still kind of an educational curve? Yeah, these days, we're pretty close to the situation where most people know exactly what you're talking about. And that's great because it's night and day compared to 10 years ago. I mean, look, when we started... We had to start by telling people that solar was actually real, that it actually worked. <laughs> people go, you know, solar, you know, I don't think that it works. And even if it works, it probably doesn't work in Sweden. And, you know, why would I even do that? So it was just like when I think back on it, it was just a different world completely. And then we had to wait, go. Wait a on, second. Wait a second. So they were hitting you on you're in Sweden and it's it's too dark during the winter. And so it's not going to yeah, work there. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, people at the time said, well, you know, I heard about solar. Someone built solar in southern Spain. I'm sure that works. It won't work in Sweden because, you know, it's cold or dark or wet or whatever, you know. And like people that didn't have a clue and, you know, you can't blame them because like, they'd never seen solar and, and there wasn't any solar companies on the stock market or it wasn't any solar news clippings in, in, in the press. So, yeah, nothing, you know, and I'd come out of the U.S. market. I spent a lot of time in the U.S. market a few years before setting up a light. And of course, in, in the U.S., even at the time, solar was, was going big, you know, it was becoming like a big business and, and really commercial. And people understood it as being an actual commercial future uh, industry to be in. So I really had to like tell myself, like, you know, look, you got to start from zero here. Like, we got to start. This is the panel. You know, this is how it works. But I'm so glad. I mean, it's just great to think about how big and, and, and fast the transition has been. And today, I don't think there's, there's not anyone who, 
who seriously disputes that that solar is going to be important in Sweden in the future. And now it's just a commercial question like, will I buy this now? And, and how will I buy it? And can I have a look at the contract? Or uh, like normal things that you'd expect from, from a business conversation. Yeah. And since that market has matured, you and the team at Alight, you're out there in the marketplace. So what are you feeling the most demand for? Is it is it on-site solar stuff, you know, where companies are coming in saying, hey, put it right here? Or is it more the off-site distributed kind of model? I'm going to say that in Europe, off-site got going a lot sooner than on-site. So off-site is much more uh, well-established. It's, it's mature these days. And then actually, when it comes to PPAs, the power purchase agreements, in Europe, they first came along in the wind industry, and there was that was really big, like the big offsite wind stuff. And then it transferred into the offsite solar, like the big solar sites, and then it's kind of moved from there. So, so definitely, offsite solar or like grid connected solar PPAs is something that's kind of an established product that everyone knows of. Onsite is really exciting, but you got to remember that not just that it's a bit newer to Europe, but also that not everyone can do onsite because you got to have rooftops or or parkings lots that 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 are available to you where you can invite someone like us to do solar and not just one of them because typically uh, if you want to do something and you want to invest whatever you're your customer but you want to invest some management time and thinking about how to do this it's going to be significant so typically you want to have um, a number of places a number of of premises where you can put this so for example one of our customers toyota obviously they control industrial sites with a lot of rooftop a lot of parking lots but also Toyota is a big company, so they have them in every country, and they can they can decide to do one framework deal for on-site. Now, that's not available to everyone, so it is, by definition, a, a smaller market. But for those companies that can have it, I think the demand is now huge. It's, it's really something that hits quickly as, as a trend, because there's a competitive aspect to this. When, when someone starts doing it, like Toyota, the people around Toyota in their markets in their niche will will notice and they'll go hey you know i can't let my competitor lead on this thing because who knows what benefit they can get from that in the future so i gotta follow so on-site uh high demand but in niches off-site pretty high demand all over i'd say getting back to toyota are they setting an example for other companies right where they are or like you said in their industry vertical what does that competition look like i think the industry vertical dynamic is really strong when it comes to something like solar i think that's true for every new technology that Within an industry vertical, suddenly someone does something. And if you're the closest competitor, can you afford to ignore it? Because, I mean, let's let's take solar. If your biggest competitor suddenly goes solar and like they're putting solar on all the rooftops or they're buying into a big solar PPA. Now, what is that going to give them? It's going to give them cheap power, maybe really stable power over time. You know, maybe they can keep the lights on and during that month, three years from now, when, when power is suddenly prohibitively expensive because something strange has happened in the power market, maybe that's going to, maybe they're immune to that, you know, or just a green aspect, you know, maybe that gives them in the next, the next time in your industry vertical, when, when a big customer is asking you for proposals, maybe your competitor is going to be able to say that, Hey, I run on solar and that gives me whatever edge in that proposal process. So can you afford to ignore it? No, you probably can't, you know, uh, even if you, you might be unsure of what the, what, what the edge is, but you can't ignore it. So then you get going. So we see this dynamic where individual verticals suddenly move together almost. And there was a, early on in, in the European solar market, for example, beverage at some point, suddenly everyone in beverage was just doing solar. And it was within months. You know, it was just like they were going to the same trade fairs and reading the same trade magazines and they just went, wow, you know, solar. There was a Heineken bottle with a solar panel on it. And then there was a Colesberg bottle with a solar panel on it. And then there was the Pepsi. And then it, it was really, really distinct uh, way 
And again, I think that's true for many technologies. So I'm probably just experiencing it myself in, in this industry. Any industries out there you say are kind of hitting that tipping point right now that Beverage had years ago? Any, you know, obviously Toyota's doing it with you, but I'm trying to think of a random industry, but I don't know. Widgets, <laughs> you know. <laughs> widgets. The widgets industry is big on solar. <laughs> I think because the industry is growing now, it's it's a phenomenon in many more verticals, but definitely industrials in general. And, and, and for some reason, automotive during a period of time, we've seen strong, strong demand recently. We've seen, you know, anything that's more consumer oriented being very interested. So, so people at some point, a number of different companies ran amusement parks and like had, you know, this general need of saying, you, you know, you want to go to an amusement park, you can trust that the power comes from green sources and, and they got going. So, but because of the pace of the industry, we now see it in, uh, in faster cycles and in more different parallel verticals. But uh, yeah, the widget, uh, the widget verticals is right there in <laughs> with them. Yeah. Yeah, and I appreciate what you said earlier about, you know, the proposal aspect, because especially here in the U.S. with, you know, disclosure rules coming down, like if you're within someone's supply chain and you can tell your potential customer, hey, we're powered by solar as opposed to a company that's not, then that's definitely going to help you because they're going to have to report that out. So I I see how that can kind of push things your way and keep a light really busy. We talked earlier about some of the trends, the positive trends going on in solar. Do you see any trouble ahead or any headwinds? I think you might want to look at grid as being, you know, a headwind coming up. There used to be issues in the, in the supply chain and coming out of COVID, supply chain was uh, disturbed. It was shipping was a problem. Uh, the, the start of the value chain, like polysilicon production, was was in a bit of a strange crisis disruption mode for a while. So, but that has gone away, luckily. So that that's not a. I mean, we spend a lot of time analyzing the value chain, and we have we have a team internally that just like digs into every step of it. And and now we're really happy. I mean, it's just. It's not only come down in terms of cost, but it's also gotten fairly predictable again. So I like that. Uh, I think that's that seems to be a good trend right now that the value chain is responding to the increase in, in solar demand. But grid is an issue because grid is is obviously run by monopolies. It's like local monopolies that manage the grids. And when something is growing as fast as solar is doing is right now, what happens is that they get overwhelmed with with applications. I mean that, that that's where the trouble starts. So it's just a manpower question where the application officers who suddenly have 10 times as much to do and they can't really cope with that. So, and then it becomes a budget issue for, for the grid companies. And then it becomes a technical issue because then they have to sit down and figure out, you know, what's going to happen technically to the grid if we let all the solar come along and they might not really know that. So, so then it becomes like a, some sort of analysis issue and, and the whole thing just amounts to a big bottleneck. I mean, grids definitely being a bottleneck for, for solar across Europe at this point. And I mean, you can't blame the grid companies. They 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 were maybe un. They were just existing in a different reality before, and that reality switched into something new. So there's, a, I think, a joint response from from grid companies and the industry and, and policymakers probably needed to to fix that. Yeah, I mean, transmission and grid infrastructure is obviously a hot topic here in the U.S. as well. Is siting an issue for you? I know you mentioned manpower and kind of the technical aspects, but I didn't hear you mention siting. Is siting as much of a challenge there over in the Nordics as it is maybe here in the U.S. Not really. Um, you fly over Sweden, you don't understand why, because <laughs> it's, it's just pretty empty. But of course, again, as the industry grows rapidly, uh, there's, there's bound to be questions, you know, more questions asked about where you're going to put stuff, like uh, what about the conflicts of interest with agriculture, etc. Overall, I think fair questions. And I mean, we, we believe we can do all the solar we need in Sweden without uh, encroaching on, on, on agricultural needs. But but it's, it's fair that the questions asked and it's fair that the debate is there. But in general, it's not holding us back to the same extent. 
individual cases, there, there, there will always be, you know, permitting issues, but it's, it's not, I think that's more true for market niches like Spain, certain places in Spain where solar has been going on for a long time and they're kind of ran out of, of land, <laughs> at least good land. But uh, we're lucky to be in markets where, where that's not the case. I got you. And then, you know, speaking of trends that are both here in the US and, and over in Europe and in the Nordics, you talked earlier about capital. Uh, this is a pretty good time in terms of, you know, capital coming into the marketplace over here. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of the old Inflation Reduction Act and, and how that's kind of driving investment here. What have you observed, you know, within the Nordics in terms of response to the IRA? I mean, we, we see stories about how policymakers are trying to kind of keep up and offer the same kinds of incentives. You know, but what is that looking like from your perspective at a company like Alight? I don't think uh, we'll see it in solar as much as they do in other like manufacturing industries because we're, we're the end part of um, the value chain. We build solar to produce power. We couldn't really go to the US and do that. Like, we could, but I mean, it's, it's just a very different market. So we're not in a situation where we go, oh, look, uh, it's just so much more attractive in the US now, so we're going to go to the US. But it's, it's more of a manufacturing question where I know uh, in the Nordics, we have, for example, um, battery manufacturing that, that's now rapidly es- escalating, which is useful for us in the solar industry because we want those batteries. We want to couple them with solar, so that's good. And I know that's been a question. Like, are you gonna, is it better now to go and build a battery factory in the, in the US rather than in, in Europe? And can European policymakers respond to that? So I guess that's healthy. You know, it's a healthy competition. But I can't say that I've seen, I've seen that phenomenon in solar We've probably just more seen that that it's a good thing globally that the value chain, the people that produce solar panels or the people that extract quartz to turn into polysilicon, they they feel even more confident that demand is going to be high in the future. So they keep their factories running and, and, and expanding, and that's good for all of us. So you know, ahead of talking to you, I dug in your website a little bit. I was taking a look at some of the projects you know you either have just launched or maybe in the past. So um, you know, I've seen a couple of things on on agrivoltaics. Tell me a little bit more about your approach there and kind of what seems to be working on the projects you've launched. Yeah, the, the sheep. We talk about we talk about the sheep as our new team members. We're really proud of them. They, they, uh, and so that that's the big agrivoltaic project that we've done is, is to put sheep on one of our assets. It's an eight megawatt asset. We're producing power for Nolato. It's a plastics company in, in Sweden. And uh, we said, hey, you know, it's uh, we have to cut the grass and anyway, so how can we do that more efficiently? We, we tried out robotic grass cutting in, on another site. That was, that was interesting. We thought, you know, even better than robots are sheep. <laughs> so let's get the sheep here. And it turns out it's, it's a great thing because for the sheep, it's apparently very good. They eat more because they, they like the shading from the panels and they kind of feel comfortable. They, they don't feel, I don't know, they seem to feel exposed when they're on the big field without panels and the panels provide some sort of sense of natural security for them. So they, they like it. So it's, it's, it's good for the actual sheep farmer. And for us, it keeps the weeds away, keeps the grass uh, short. And overall, what it does and, and what a well-managed solar site does to its surroundings is actually interesting because it increases the biodiversity of whatever is around it. So if you, if you have agricultural land, agricultural production next to one of our solar sites, and the way that we manage them with a the rich flora and, and, and fauna and with the sheep, uh, we're going to increase the overall biodiversity by making it a haven for, uh, for the bees and, and for everything that pollinates and cross-pollinates. So it's just really nice to, to understand that, that positive aspect of how solar can not just take land, but just really fit into the land and, and contribute. I got you. So we've also talked a little bit about Toyota. What other 
projects or what other companies have you partnered with that you can share kind of the details on, you know, how things got started and what the project looks like? Yes, we on the uh, grid connected side, we've communicated the stuff that we do with with Swedbank. Swedbank is one of the major uh, banks in 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 the Nordics. They were very brave to sign one of the first or the first solar PPA in Sweden. Very brave for a big bank to do that, and and they helped us in a tangible way. Helped us to to get going and kickstart the markets. That was fantastic. We you know forever grateful to, to Swedbank for for that. They also, I'm very happy to uh, notice that it ended up being a very good deal for them. It's just how power prices uh, went from that point on. It turned out to be a smart move uh, to sign that that PPA. After them, we worked with Axe Food, one of the key food retailers in the, in the Nordic region. Uh, we worked with H&M, uh, which is a big international clothing uh, reseller. So different niches, different industries, they all just bound by a, a common need for power like any company they need power a strong a sense of, of sustainability purpose of course and when it comes to on-site we work with a lot of industrials that have many on-sites uh, on well many industrial sites across europe to to work with many of them are uh, guarded around the fact that they do this because they like to probably keep it a little bit of a secret from competitors and and many of them are very big companies like fortune 500 stock listed companies so Unfortunately, less names that we can publicly communicate, but kind of respect that. And I, and I, I think the dynamic is interesting of, of companies wanting to build quite a significant base before they then, I think they all ambition talking about it at some point, but when it's like really a done deal, it's all been built out, it's become a significant part of their power use. I think, of course, in general, there's a sense that you don't want to communicate green initiatives that you haven't ex- executed on because it just makes you well, it makes you look like you're, you're trying to communicate a bit too far in advance. But yeah, a big pipeline of customers that uh, that we work with. That's interesting. So you're saying folks are kind of keeping it quiet until it's done because I know there's been some blowback and pushback on ESG and things like that. But for years there, it seemed like companies were kind of trumpeting, hey, where are you going green? We're doing all this stuff. But you're saying some of them are actually kind of keeping it close to the vest until it's fully completed or nearly or near completion yeah no and as you say maybe there's been too much of the other thing going on so there's a backlash i don't know or just that the green question the sustainability question has more of an edge to it today it's more important people really care about it whereas maybe five years ago it was a little bit more seen as a nice to have thing now it's it's for real. You can't communicate something unless it's it's true. I don't know what what exactly the dynamic is, but we definitely see that customers prefer to make sure that they've that they're completely sure that they you know something is done. It's built. It's producing power. It's something they can talk about after the fact, and that's uh, that, that's fair enough. You know, I respect that. I think it's it's probably a good dynamic, but but it unfortunately means that lots of interesting and cool logos that I wish I could share, but I can't. Yeah. I also think it's kind of the questions have gotten more, you know, educated on that kind of stuff. You know, a few years ago, you could say, oh, we're powered by renewables and everyone would be like, oh, congratulations. Now it's like, hey, how, you know, are you yeah. building it on site? Are you, do you have a PPA? Are you just doing offsets? You know, exactly how deep into this are you and how committed are you? So, yeah, even been some, I think, legal repercussions for people who, who went a little bit too far and saying that they were powered by something that they maybe they didn't buy the environmental attribute credits or, you know, just they didn't do it in the right way. And, and, uh, and I think that's fair. I mean, the, your things shouldn't be regulated in this area and, and you shouldn't be able to say whatever. So that, that, that's good. One of the questions I usually ask guests about their bold predictions for the market in which they operate. So you're sitting there in Stockholm, you, know, you have a, a Nordic view, but also a global view on solar. 
What are your bold predictions for where that marketplace is going or any trends that might not necessarily be on the radar now, but might be hot topics in the near future? Well, I think the big bold prediction is that we're going to have a, a world powered by solar, wind, and batteries. I mean, that is the energy transition. We There is nothing holding us back from reaching that endpoint where the power needs of this, this, this world comes mainly out of solar, wind, and batteries. So if I can make one really big and bold prediction about everything, and that's, that's the one. When it comes to my market, Sweden, also like to be bold because I think the way we see things progressing right now, Sweden is going to be 15, 20% powered by solar within, within a decade. And that's not something that anyone from, from any public, you know, body or, or, or analyst has accurately predicted, but I can see it happening from the inside. I mean, from, from the industry. So yeah, I mean, maybe uh, I'll be back on the show 10 years from now and I have to, uh, have to eat these words, but 15 to 20% is what solar could do for Sweden within the time period. And, and it's happening rapidly. You know, when you see projections for solar, there's this wonderful chart where someone is showing like what the International Energy Agency predicted for solar versus what actually happened. And it's just year by year, the agency is predicting some kind of linear growth and reality is just exponential. Solar is just always outperforming. I don't really know what they're doing at the IEA, how they, how they, how they cannot have seen this, this chart themselves. But I think that's the truth with solar. We're just going through an extraordinary hyper growth period and it's just going to make a big mark on, on everything quite soon. One other fun question I like to ask people is if you had a magic wand and kind of fix any issue that's in the marketplace or any issue that you face, either just individually with a, at a light or the, the broader solar ecosystem. And again, you're a magician. You can make any problem go away. What would it be? Can I focus on, on the people that work at the grid companies? And and, uh, and I don't want to do, I don't, I don't want to use them wand and do anything bad with them. I just want to give them more support so they can become more people. I want to multiply them. <laughs> can I do that? That's what I want to do. So you're talking about sheep and cloning in the same episode? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm just messing with you, Harold. Listen, I, I really appreciate this conversation. It's it's great hearing what's going on with you and the team at Alight. Again, from the perspective of not only just Sweden and the Nordics, but also what you're seeing globally. So thank you a lot for your time. I appreciate it. It's been a great conversation, Sean. So thank you so much for having me. All right, everyone. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you all for listening. And if you haven't already, please subscribe or follow this show on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And as always, please be sure to share it with your friends and colleagues. Have a great day.